Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, are you laughing at my emoji? Funny story, uh, if you remember, if you were here last week uh, and you saw Christian's emoji, and I asked our graphics team, I said, how come his uh, entire head is bigger than mine? Did you guys all notice that? And they said, it's not, it's an optical illusion, it's because he has hair and you don't. <laughs> but that's me, so welcome to Shepherd's Gate. Good morning. And if you're a guest this morning, thank you so much for being here. My name's Tim, and I get the privilege of being the lead pastor. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you right after the service through these doors, uh, which is where the donuts are, so you don't want to go that way. You want to go that way, uh, as well as free coffee, and just to shake your hand and thank you for being here, especially those that you came with your fathers today or the men in your life, maybe a grandfather that's meaningful for you, and so you made the extra effort to be here. Just so thankful for having you here. We're actually in a message series uh, for the month of June called Icons of Influence, and so we've been looking at these major players uh, throughout the Bible, and so today is week three. We're going to be looking at David and uh, just their journey. One of the things that's interesting about Scripture is that these guys, each and every one of them, their entire life story is played out in Scripture, from their victories to some of the darkest moments in their lives. And they've been read for thousands of years. And it's crazy as you read these accounts, these real-life accounts, how applicable they are even to our lives to this day. And uh, one of the other things I just want to remind you of that we were reminding you of all June is that we are currently in our summer worship challenge for June, July, and August. And so we said, you know, summertime in Michigan is usually when a lot of people go on vacation, a lot of people are out of town, they miss church. What if we challenged our congregation to be in church each and every week? And I said this uh, two weeks ago, and you all applauded and said, yes, we can do this. Remember that? So how are we doing? It's week three. How are we doing on this? Right? Right? There we go. Um, so if you're not here, if you're not able to be here, you can certainly, we, we're not discourage you from going on vacation, but if you're out of town, that you would just pull up your laptop or your mobile device and live stream our 10 o'clock service. So those of you that are watching live, thank you for joining us today. Um, or if you're able to watch the recording later on in the service, but that each and every week you'll commit to being part of service. And in this summer worship challenge, it's not about attendance. Just want you to know. It's about participation in the body of Christ. It's about you being connected to your church, the church that you call home, and allowing God to speak into your heart, into your life. And I always love it when I hear it from our members, whether they're long-term members or, or those that are just starting their journey here at Shepherd's Gate, that tell me the greatest part of their week is that one hour on Sunday when they can get in here and they can just get focused on God's word and it really sets the course of their entire week. And we believe that to be true. Uh, so much so that you might remember last week I wasn't able to be with you. I was with the church camping group. We were up in Lakeport, which is in Port Huron. And uh, wouldn't you know, we took a flat screen TV with us. We hooked this thing up to the internet, right? And uh, 66 of us uh, were there last weekend. And you have to have church coffee, right? You can't, can't have church without church coffee. So there's 66 of us, 44 dogs, okay? And... Um, <laughs> And we watched the entire service. We sang the songs, we did the Apostles' Creed, we listened to Christian preach God's word. He did an amazing job. Uh, so if 66, yeah, let's give. So now every time I go camping, we're going to have Christian preach. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> and we will follow along. So you can do this. You can do the summer worship challenge. Own your influence. Push yourself to do that. All right? Amen? 
All right, today we're looking at David and the faithfulness of God and even in his unfaithfulness, how God continued to be faithful to him. So I want to encourage you to grab one of the chair Bibles that's right in front of you. If you're in the front row, they're underneath the seat. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's found on page 239. If you do not have a Bible, will you do our church a favor and take the one that you are now holding home with you today? We believe that's the greatest gift that our church can give you and we love giving our Bibles away. So please make sure that you do that today. Uh, but first Samuel, first Samuel chapter 17, uh, this is the portion of Samuel. Samuel's a prophet of God. He speaks on behalf of God. That's why the, the book is called Samuel. Um, and so uh, we're going to be looking at David and David's account from the very beginning almost to the very end uh, today. So we've got a lot of scriptures that we have to cover. And while you're churning there, I want to tell you a story uh, that a pastor, uh, Tony Evans, told uh, about a guy who wasn't feeling very well. He had to go to the doctor. Right? And, and uh, you know, for men, a lot of men especially, they don't like going to the doctor. They try to tough it out. And so this guy finally goes to the doctor. And he gets there, and the doctor says, well, what, what's the issue? And he says, man, I have pain from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I can't shake this thing. I just ache all over. And the doctor said, well, that's pretty interesting. You know, people don't usually come in and say that. You're usually able to pinpoint an area in their body. But you know, can you do me a favor? Can you, can you, you know, touch your head? And so the guy touched his head and he went, ah, with this excruciating pain. He said, oh, that's kind of interesting. He said, well, can you touch your neck? And he touched his neck and he went, oh, it's, it's so painful. And he said, oh, well, let's try the bottom of your body. He said, well, can you reach down? Is it okay if you touch one of, one of your feet? And so he reached down, he touched one of his feet and he just starts screaming out, just the pain. He's like, well, let's try your, your knee and then let's try your waist and then let, let's try your elbow. And each and every body part that the doctor called out, the guy would just cry out in pain. Until finally the doctor looked at him and said, you're an idiot. You just have a sprained finger. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how one area in your life that is never dealt with has the power to ruin every other area of your life? Isn't it interesting that even the smallest, minute thing in your life can become a mountain, can become an obstacle, can become a giant that you face. I want you to think about that. One area of your life has the ability to affect, and this is how you know if this is true for you. If you have something in your life that you are obsessing about, in fact, you can't stop talking about it. You can't stop you know, uh, just thinking about it. In fact, you can't even sleep at night. This thing has consumed you. And so it just becomes almost this plague. And so often with situations like this in our lives, we get focused on these one thing, this one area that just seems to overtake our entire being. And that's exactly where we find David and all of the children of Israel in our text this morning. In fact, it's actually the chapter before uh, 17. It's actually in, verse, or in chapter 16 that we, that we first are introduced to David. He's the youngest of eight sons. Imagine having seven older brothers. Any of you, you're the youngest in the family, any babies in the family, go ahead and raise your hand, right? How many of you, you're victims, right? You've been picked on. We should have a day for you. We know it's Father's Day, but we should have a youngest sibling's day. Imagine this guy. Imagine having seven older brothers that smacked him around, that, that, that said things to him that, that were just, you know, awful to him. Uh, he was a shepherd boy, we learned, so his task was to work the family farm and to guard and protect the sheep. In fact, he was actually too young for war, 
And we know that in order to go to war, you had to be 20 years old or older. So we don't know his exact age. We just know that he's 19 or younger. And so here he is. And this is really important that we rewind just for this uh, one chapter because this is really important to what we believe and teach and confess as a church because God had put it on Samuel, the prophet of the time, his heart to anoint a new king of Israel. See, at this time, Saul was actually the king of Israel, and Saul kept disobeying God, and the people of Israel kept disobeying God, even though he gave them clear instructions of what to do through the prophet Samuel. And God had enough, and he said, I want you to go, and I want you to anoint a new king of Israel. And so God sends Samuel to Jesse, which is David's father's home, to his farm. And he tells him this, and you can imagine how excited Jesse must have been that one of his sons was going to be anointed the new king of Israel. And so David's still out tending to the sheep. He's got seven older brothers. They march in all seven older brothers in front of Samuel. And the Spirit of God does not confirm in Samuel's heart any of the seven that walked in front of him. So much so that they're all sitting there scratching their heads going, well, maybe we should march him in front of you again, Samuel. And Samuel has to say to Jesse, are you sure you don't have any other sons? And he says, oh yeah, there's this one last one, eight. Yeah, we had eight. I think we had eight. They're not all here, eight. Those of you that have lots of kids, you experience this, right? You're like, do we have them all? Are they all in the minivan? Are they all ready to go? So here he goes and they go and they get him and they march him in front of Samuel and Samuel instantly senses it from God that he is the one to be anointed, the king of Israel. And it says, Samuel took the horn of oil, he anoints him, and think about this, in the midst of his brothers. Ouch, right? You just got passed by the prophet and now you see your little twerpy brother gets to be the one that's anointed. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. See, we can be so quick to jump to the story of David and Goliath. We can be so quick you know, to give David all these kudos and what he did in taking down you know, the giant. But yet you have to realize where it started for David. It started with the Spirit of God coming to David. It started with David understanding that he was under God's covenant and that God was going to give him the courage and the strength to do this. Just like God has come to you, just as God has awakened faith in your heart and your life and given you the ability to do it as what you do, it's because God is faithful, not because we are faithful. So you've got to have that foundation as we go into this. And so here they are, they're in this situation, they're fighting this thing uh, that it seems so uh, surmountable, and it just happened to be a human being called Goliath. And in your Bibles this morning, you, you, we learn that he's nine feet six inches tall, an NBA coach's dream, right? <laughs> Ever why God made him nine feet six inches tall? He could have made him seven feet. Seven feet would be pretty intimidating, right? Even 6'5 would be pretty intimidating. No, he's got to be 9 feet 6 inches tall. This guy had 100 pounds of armor that he carried around with him, and he's tormenting the Israeli army for 40 days. See, they came up with this crazy idea that if one person from one army, the Israeli army, was able to defeat one person from the, the, their army, that then they would rule the land. So it was just, you just needed two people, so of course they had their person picked out, Goliath, and yet nobody in the Israeli army wanted to face this guy. In fact, they all lived in fear. Three of David's older brothers were actually part of the army, and so David's dad says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to take some food and some other things to the front line and just check in to make sure they're okay. And so starting in verse 23 in your Bibles, you can look down, it says, as David talked with them, behold this champion, right, he's won all these wars, he's... The Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out from the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. 
It's like a broken record, right? It's like he's just saying the same thing over and over. He's provoking them. You have, you, there's nobody in your army that's willing to face me. There's nobody that's willing to go before and figure out if they can fight me. And this is the first time that David hears him. David hears him with his own words. David's not there to fight. He's just there to give his brothers food and to get a report for his dad. And look at what it says. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were afraid. They were afraid of Goliath. And they're just in this situation where there's this one obstacle between, between them and the promise that God had made from them. And they couldn't figure out how to get over this obstacle It says, David said to the men who stood by them, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? So they actually tell David, King Saul made this promise, if any of you would be willing to face Goliath and defeat him, you'll be given a ton of wealth, you'll actually be given one of my daughters in marriage, which means you're you're married into royalty. So again, what an incredible safety that must have been. And the third was that all of your family debt would be removed. So it wouldn't just impact you, it would impact your entire family. And look at how David responds. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is a very crucial statement in Scripture. You see, all of the Israeli army, all they were doing was looking at the physical capacity of Goliath. They were looking at his physical abilities, but yet David was looking at Goliath's lack of spiritual ability. David recognized that he was under the covenant of God, that God had made a promise with his children, and David was bold enough to believe that God was actually going to carry it out. And so he calls him an uncircumcised Philistine, not just to have some slang word to throw it at this guy, but so that they would recognize that this isn't a physical battle, but in fact this is a spiritual battle. David didn't see a military giant. He didn't see a guy that was nine foot six that couldn't be taken down. He saw a spiritual enemy that with God's help and God's provision could actually take down something that seems impossible in their lives. David recognized the covenant, the spiritual covering that God had made with his people. And I want you to think about it in light of all of the incredible rain that God has blessed the state of Michigan with. For the last 40 days and 40 nights, right? I mean, some of you, you may have even arrived by boat today, right? I mean, good land with this rain. Think about this, right? Your spiritual covering and my spiritual covering comes from God, the faith that he has produced in our hearts and our lives. He has made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that the storms don't come. It doesn't mean that we don't face hardships. It doesn't mean that there, you know, the floodwaters continue to rise. I mean, pretty soon Lake St. Clair is going to become the sixth great lake, right? God only knows, and people always go, well, God said he's never going to destroy the earth by a flood again. He never said he wasn't going to destroy Michigan by a flood again. <laughs> we need to start praying every day. I pray, God, we've had enough, we've had enough, we've had enough, right? But he understood to be under the covenant, under the covering, which is where you and I need to be in our lives, that we need to be under God's covering. We need to huddle under that umbrella. And those of you that have those big family umbrellas, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of your family. But that's not what we do. See, we hold on to the covenant, but then we'll take and we'll just kind of put the umbrella down. 
And we'll say, you know, okay, God, I understand what it is that you want me to do. I understand your laws, and I understand what people have spoken into my life, but I kind of want to do it my own way. So I'm going to hold on to you, but I'm going to go ahead and just see what this world is all about. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and move into a realm that I shouldn't move into, and I'm going to do things that I know that I shouldn't do because I just want to test the waters. I want to see how much you know, protection that you're actually providing for me. It's kind of interesting. We had our small group over last night for a barbecue at our house, all these incredible families and kids, and we were all having a great time. And then we went outside after we were done eating, and we had a bonfire, and then guess what happened next? Guess what happened? How did you know? <laughs> And, and it started sprinkling at first. And you know how this is where you're just like, oh, well, this isn't that big of a deal because, I mean, we, this might be the only day that we get that's just sprinkling because it's probably, you know, is it going to rain all summer? I don't know. And so we, you're just sitting there and, and all of a sudden, you know, someone spoke up and said, you know, we're, we're getting really wet. <laughs> it's it's kind of getting awkward and, and, you know, water's coming down and slowly but surely one family after another left our house. And I looked at my wife and I said, maybe we should have moved inside earlier but it's kind of like sin, right? We put the umbrella down, a couple drops hit, and we think we're okay. We try doing it on our own, and then all of a sudden we realize that we're actually completely soaked. And it's all because we moved out from under God's covering. I want you to see what David did, though. He said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I'll go. I'll fight him. I have no actual um, experience fighting or being in war, but I'll go do it. And then he says this to Saul. And the reason he says this is because Saul actually said, there's no way I'm sending you out. You're a youth. You're way too young. There's no way that you could ever do this. And so David begins to read Saul his resume. He says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. See how he, uh, he addresses again the spiritual implications of this moment. He said, look at what you're looking at. You're continuing to look at the physical aspects. And if you want to look at the physical aspects, let me give you my resume. Because there was a time when a bear showed up on my family farm and the bear began to take one of the sheep away and I had to run toward that bear and fight that bear and rescue that lamb. And there was a time when a lion came to our family farm and a lion tried to take one of the sheep away. And guess what? I ran toward that lion and I wrestled that lion and I rescued that lamb and brought it back to the family farm. And if God can save me from the paw of the bear and deliver me from the hand of the lion, certainly he will be with me to defeat this Philistine. Think of the courage and the boldness the faith that he had in the promises of God because David, not again, didn't see this as a physical battle. He knew that it was a spiritual battle. And then I love this because David says to, or Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. He's giving him a blessing, right? Isn't that interesting in our lives so often, right? We, we feel like God has called us to do something. We feel like God is, is equipping us and there's other people, naysayers that'll come along and in order to be polite because we're polite with one another, they'll be like, oh, that's interesting. Go, brother, and I will keep you in prayer. Or go, sister, to Africa and your shoes and we will pray with you. God bless you. And in the back of your mind, you know they're thinking, you're crazy. You're going to get on a plane and fly over there for 30 hours and do something that nobody else would do? That's nuts. There's always going to be people that are going to continue to look at things from a physical aspect instead of a spiritual aspect. And here's what's so cool is David did what God had called him to do. And just as he ran toward the bear, just as he ran toward the lion, do you know that David ran? He ran toward 
Goliath. See, when the Spirit of God is in your heart and your life, you don't have to play defense anymore. Did you know that? When the Spirit of God is in your heart and your life, you get to play offense. You get to attack the enemy. You get to tell him to flee, as Scripture says, and he must flee. He does not have an option. And he swung Goliath in the head. He killed him. He cut off his head. He became an instant icon all over Israel, all over the land. Imagine this young guy. And guess what ends up happening? Saul, the king at the time, makes David the commander of his army. David begins to win battle after battle after battle. In fact, every battle, wouldn't you know that David fought, he won. Not because of David's strength, but because the strength of the Lord and that God was faithful to continue to carry out his plan, not just for David, but for all of the children of Israel. And a time came when Saul was no longer king. God removed him as king, and David actually becomes king of Israel. He has all the money. He has multiple wives. He has multiple concubines. Like He has everything he could possibly ever want, hope, or imagine. God blessed him with all of these children. And as I said last weekend, I was camping with the church group. And one of the reasons I love camping with the church group is because I get to have my boys around other families at the church, and they're all different ages and stages of life. And there's a lot of men, just you know, in this church that have influenced me greatly, watching them and how they've interacted with their kids, asking them for advice, asking them what they did at this stage in the game, and having them be able to speak those words has been a huge encouragement to me. And one of them, I don't know if he's here because sometimes they go to the 1130, sometimes they go to the 10, but it's Paul Roser. Do you guys know Paul and Ada Roser? And we were talking, and so he gave me this advice. He said, Tim, there's three stages to a man's life. Do you want to know what they are? From a guy that has four adult children. Would you guys want to know what this is? This is incredible. Ready? This is what he told me. The three stages in a man's life are go-go, slow-go, and then no-go. I said, Paul, tell me more. Tell me more. He said, Tim, you're in the go-go stage. I bet that you feel that you're drowning. I bet that you're stressed out because you're worried about your family finances and you're worried about your marriage, you're worried about your kids, you're worried about your house, you're worried about this, you're worried about that. Am I making all these right decisions? Your schedule's completely packed out. Your wife signs you up for things that you didn't think that you should be signed up for. All of that stuff is going on in your life. I said, yes, that's me. You're preaching to me. Preach it, Paul. He said, but eventually you get to a stage that's called the slow go, when those kids will leave, right? And all of a sudden, you're an empty nester. And Paul just had the opportunity to retire from working this last February. And I loved it because we were down at the beach and there's kids everywhere and everyone has their beach chairs and, you know, some of us parents are yelling at our kids, stop throwing rocks at each other and stop throwing sand at each other, you know, typical parent stuff. And Paul just gets out his chair and he just gets it exactly the way he wants it and he just sits down in his chair and he hits the little recliner and wouldn't you know, kids running around, people yelling, he just closes his eyes and goes to sleep. <laughs> I looked over at Paul, and I, and I just was like, I, 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 I'm so jealous. <laughs> when do I get to be in the slow-go phase, right? Listen to me this morning. David, at this point in our narrative, is in a slow-go phase. He's got the wives. He's got the kids. He has the wealth. He's got it. He's 401k, his Roth, his retirement, everything. He's got millions, right? Wherever the sun sets, that's his kingdom. Wherever the sun uh, rises, that's his kingdom. I mean, he has everything he could possibly want, hope, or imagine. 
and then everything changes. Everything changes in a moment in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it starts this way like all good soap operas, right? It happened. It happened late one afternoon. This is not going to go well, right? Dot, dot, dot. When David arose from his couch, he was walking on the roof of the king's house, which, by the way, is his house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, see, they knew that this was who it was, but since he was the king, you never made statements to the king. You only asked the king questions, and then he would verify if it was true or not. And so David does what? He sends messengers, and he takes her, and she comes in to his house, and he lays with her. She returns to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent note to David, telling David, guess what? I'm pregnant. And here's the difficulty. Her husband was actually fighting a war. David was at a stage in his life where he didn't even have to go off and, and fight anymore. He had people that would do that for him, and he didn't even need to fight. He had everything he could possibly hope or imagine, and they were still fighting wars. So now he's caught in this sin. One act, one act turned into this sin. And he's trying to figure out what's the next step for him. And rather than just confessing it, rather than just getting it out and, and finding the prophet and, and being bold and honest before the people, he didn't do that. He comes up with this scheme, and so he calls her husband home, Uriah, and he has a conversation with Uriah and he says, you know, you've been a really good soldier for me. You've done a really incredible job. Why don't you go home? You deserve to relax. You deserve to be with your wife. And Uriah, being the man of God that he was, being faithful to the other uh, soldiers that were fighting, said, I'm not going to do something that they don't get to do. Instead, he puts a tent right outside David's place and he spends the night in a tent and doesn't go home to his wife. David gets frustrated, and so what does he do? He gets Uriah drunk the second night. He says, if I pump enough alcohol in him, and we all know alcohol lowers our ambitious, ambitious, maybe then maybe he'll go and he'll be with his wife. Maybe I can trick him in this way. That way he'll think that this is his son. And wouldn't you know, even in his drunken state, he refused to return home to his wife. He went back to the tent that was right outside the walls of the city. And so David being frustrated, thinking this word's going to get out and what am I going to do if people find out that I did this incredible, awful act, he writes a letter and he sends it by Uriah's hand. He gives Uriah this letter and the words in the letter are, Say Uriah in, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. This guy left everything that David had and all of the luxuries that David had and had to walk his own death sentence, his own death letter to the leader of the army and the guy did exactly what he was told to do and because of that, Uriah died. And not only did Uriah die, but there were some others among them, if you look at the sentence right before that, that also fell. There's blood on David's hands. David has caused this reaction to take place and now he is a murderer. God, how does a guy who is so faithful, who got it right so many times, how all of a sudden, at this stage in his life, this doesn't make any sense, this seems like it flipped the script, it seems like he should have screwed up when he was young and got it right when he was older. Why did he get it right for so long and now he's getting it wrong? Why is he becoming unfaithful to you? And you know that part of this was he refused to recognize his sin. He didn't confess that he had done this for nine months. Nine months he carried this in his heart and in his life instead of confessing it to God. And because of that, the prophet at the time, it switched from Samuel to Nathan, prophesied this over David. He said, the sword will never depart from your house. 
And in fact, we know of three of sons that, that David lost. It said David's own wives will be humiliated before all of Israel. And we read in scripture that one of his sons actually slept with his wives and his concubines. It says the fatal end of the son conceived by David and Bathsheba's sin. That the son that was actually born out of this one moment, this one act, would actually be born and they would hold this precious baby in their hands and that it would ultimately die. See, there's consequences for our actions. There's consequences for our sins. And for us, holding on to these things is completely pointless before a holy and a righteous and a loving God. We need to get it out. We need to confess these things to God. We need to hand them over to him and allow his grace and his mercy to cover us. So again, what is that one thing in your life? What is that thing that you've been holding on to? And has it been, you know, nine months or has it been nine years is it a gossiping tongue or is it an unforgiving heart or is it something that is just continuing to hold on to and you've given God everything else but you haven't given God that one thing that he desperately wants you to let go of? You see, the same God who carried out great victories through David is the same God who called David to repentance. All nine of those months, all that time that he was scheming to try to cover this thing up, God never stopped working in his heart and his life, just as God never stops working in your heart and your life and brought you here today to hear this message that we would be looking at this icon today. In fact, finally, finally, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David said to the prophet Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And look at the immediateness of this. It says, Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put your sin away. You shall not die. God offered him grace and his mercy. Did he still experience the consequences of his sin? Yes. Did he realize that he had allowed his umbrella to drop and he, allowed, and he was doing life on his own instead of just keeping it right where God wanted him to do underneath that covenant that God had for him? And I think that's our challenge today. It's that God has put you under his covenant, under his umbrella for two reasons, right? He's drawing you to himself in his way of doing things. You can go it your own way. You can try to go your own path. You can, you, can, you, know, you can keep fighting that thing on your own and trying to be faithful in that way, but you can't do it without him. God is drawing you to himself. And not only is he drawing you to himself, it's so that you can influence others because, come on, dads in this room, you know this, what the, our actions and our words don't just impact us. They impact the people around us and, and the people that God allows us to influence. And if you're here this morning and maybe you feel like a failure, maybe you feel like you're not good enough, maybe you feel like you're never going to get it right, understand the mercy and grace of our God this morning. He loves you and he put you in the position that you're in, whether you're a father or a husband for a reason. And even if you feel like you're inadequate, guess what? God does have the ability to come alongside you and to give you exactly what you need in each and every moment of your life. So if you feel like you're not good enough, guess what? Neither am I, but thanks be to God for his grace and his mercy that works in and through our hearts and our lives to give us faith because each and every time we are faithful, God is faithful to the end. Amen? And this is it. Remember this. Your faithfulness, my faithfulness, bears success when our faithfulness is in God and not in ourselves. And when it's in God, I promise you this, he will help you. 
to defeat every single one of those giants in your life. He'll give you a more an amazing grace and mercy that you can't even comp comprehend. And you'll be looking at an obstacle, but you won't be looking at the physical obstacle anymore. You'll be looking at it in the spiritual realm. And God will give you spiritual eyes, and he will go before you, and he will defeat that thing in your life. But here's where it starts for you and for me. It starts with confessing it to him. It starts with humbling ourselves before the great and mighty God who has created us, who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And I'm so glad that we get to receive communion this morning, that we get to receive his very body and blood, his real presence into our hearts and our lives, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but once again to remind us how faithful he is to carry out his purpose and his plan for our lives. In a moment, we're going to put our communion guidelines on the screen. If you're new to Shepherd's Gate, you can read them. But this is an opportunity for us as a church to come before God, to get real with God, to confess our sins to him. And whatever that is, maybe it's something you've been holding on to for a long time, it's time to let it go this morning. Give it to God and watch what he can do and let him cover you with his grace and his mercy. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning, church? Heavenly Father, we do come to you today. God, we thank you that we can look at these real-life characters in the Bible, people that existed and go through the same struggles that we go through. God, we thank you that we can even see as we look and we, and we can examine David's life that eventually he got to that point where he did confess that to you. And God, we thank you that we're here this morning and that, that you have pierced our hearts and that you are calling us to confession this morning. And so God, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed in this time and this place, we ask that you would bring to mind those things that we need to let go. Maybe it's something that we, that we got involved in this week. Maybe it's something that we've been dealing with for a very long time. And today's the day, today's the day to hand it over to you and to let this thing go. And so God, we confess our sins to you this morning. morning our heavenly father our faithful heavenly father he has heard your confession and because of who jesus christ is and because of what he has done on the cross for us in the giving and shedding of his blood he forgives you of all of your sins in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen you see it was on the night that jesus was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he gave the disciples and said take eat this is my body which is given for you do this remembering me in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, drink. This cup is the new covenant of my blood, the new covenant. It's given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink of it, remembering me. Now we come now, we receive God's forgiveness, and we receive God's faithfulness in this meal. Come now, all is prepared. Amen. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to receive your very body and blood into our hearts and into our lives. 
God, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but that now, God, we may go and live the life that you've called us to live, that you have righted that umbrella in our lives once again, your covenant, your provision over our lives. God, we're humbled and grateful for everything that you give us through Jesus Christ. This morning, God, we also lift up those who have lost loved ones this week. And so we lift up Jamie and Galen Galiberto on the death of Jamie's father, as well as Jim and Cheryl Pjornak on the death of Jim's mother. We thank you for the incredible life that you've given both of these two and the legacies that they have left behind. And we just pray comfort and peace for the families. God, but we also pray for Jim and Marianne Knox and Paul and Maria Domke on the death of Jim and Maria's brother who died suddenly at the age of 59, Peter John. And God, we know that when these come and and they come at these young ages and they come as a surprise, it can be so devastating. So God, we pray for your mercy and for your strength that even in this darkest of times, God, that your light will shine through. So God, wrap your arms around this family. Give them all peace, we pray. God, reassure them of the faith that we have in you and what it is that you do for us. God, this morning we do pray for the men in our lives. We thank you for our fathers and our grandfathers, our uncles and our cousins, all of the men that serve in positions that you have placed them then to influence this world. And so, God, we pray a special blessing on them today. May they know how much they are loved by you first and foremost and that you have called them and you have put your spirit inside of them to lead and guide them. God, we also pray that you would help us to continue to be the influencers that you've called us to be in every aspect of our lives. We pray for those who maybe have lost a father or a grandfather or or maybe there's tension or conflict in the relationship right now. God, we hand those over to you and we ask, God, that you would move in ways that only you can move by your spirit. But once again, God, we're so humbled and grateful to be in your house this morning, to be able to sing to you and to pray to you to open your word and to learn from you and and then ultimately, God, to, to receive your very body and blood in Holy Communion. What a privilege and honor, God. We love you and we thank you for everything. It is in your son's most holy and precious name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Will you please stand with me this morning? And now may this true body and true blood of our Lord and Savior, may it strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith until life everlasting, amen. Receive the blessing of our Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he look upon you with favor and give you his peace.